are you Albert ready? Yeah, I'm Albert. <laughs> Hi, this is Albert. Welcome to our podcast, To New In and Fing Things. Hi, this is Carolyn. Today, our topic is going to be on 401k and Roth IRA continued. But before we jump into it, Albert and I would like to share a little bit about ourselves so you can get to know us better. Um, so I'll kick it off. So my name is Carolyn Nguyen. Um, I live in the Bay Area. Um, lived in the Bay Area my entire life. Um, I went to school down in LA and then moved back to the Bay Area after graduation. Currently, I work in HR at a gaming company. Um, before that, I worked for a SaaS company, and I also worked in retail management. Some of the things I'm into personally is skincare. I sleep a lot, so if I can sleep in on the weekends, that's probably what I'm doing. Um, I love watching documentaries. And then I'm also obsessed with my dog, Benji. So I'm going to put in a shameless plug here. If you have an Instagram, go and follow him at trap money, period, Benji. Um, and that's just a little bit about myself. So I'm going to hand it over to Albert now. Thanks. And a little bit more about myself is I went to school in L.A., sort of like um, Carolyn. Shortly after I graduated, I ran a personal finance blog. Um, which is actually still running. It's called Fang Wallet, for those who are curious. And it's been running for four years now, and I, which I like to consider a passion project. Um, but yeah, like a lot of my time is just like um, working on that project on my free time or just walking, watching <laughs> documentaries. Um, but for a living, uh, my background is like more so in advertising and marketing, more so in the fintech and API space. Sounds a little boring, but, um, like, we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, that's, um, that's all I had to share for today. Thank you. Awesome. So now that we've shared a little bit about ourselves, we'll go ahead and hop into today's topic. Um, the continuation from our first episode, 401k and Roth IRA. So this topic in itself can be very complicated. So I am going to start with some definitions and some terminology you'll hear us using um, to hopefully help clarify what we're talking about. So the first term, max or maxing out, um, this is referring to um, how much you contribute to your respective plan up to the IRS limit. So the IRS limit is the max amount. Um, so when we're talking about maxing out your 401k, the limit for 2021 is 19500 And if you're 50 and older, your IRS limit to max out is 26000 So when you hear us saying like maxing out or we're going to max, you know, um, our contributions, that just means we're contributing up to the IRS limit. And then for Roth IRA, 
the limit for 2021 is 6000 And then if you're 50 or older, um, you can go ahead and contribute up to $7,000 for catch-up. So this is really important to know because you do not want to go over the IRS limit. Um, I'm sure there are penalties and implications if you do. So when you are contributing for that year, make sure you do your research to um, know what the IRS limit is. So now we're going to go into the next definition and I'll pass this over to Albert to explain what expense ratio is. Yeah, so like a common question um, a lot of investors have is like what expense ratio is and what it is is that like for every like portfolio you invest in like whether it be an ETF or mutual fund it's sort of managed by a portfolio manager and expense ratio is basically the annual fee that the portfolio manager charges um, you um, based off how much you invest in that respective ETF or mutual fund so like for example hypothetically let's say you had an expense ratio of 0 0.10 um, and you invested let's say a thousand dollars into the um, ETF but then by the time a year elapsed and your grand total is now two thousand dollars which is basically like a hundred percent return basically your two grand will now be uh, multiplied by the expense ratio of 0 0.10 so in a way it's sort of like paying towards um the portfolio manager funding and managing your account whereas you have peace of mind meanwhile um yeah and then I'm shooting it over to Carolyn to define what uh, earning versus contribution. Just just because I think those are very um, easy to confuse. And here you are. Yay. Okay, so a contribution is what you put into your plan or account initially. So let's say you max out your Roth IRA and you put 6000 into your Roth IRA plan. And earning is anything extra made on top of the initial deposit, initial contribution that you made into your account. So let's say you um, put your contribution into a mutual fund and you earn $200. So now your account has $6,200. So your earnings would be the $6,200 minus the initial contribution, which is 6000 So you have an earning of $200. So it's important to understand that because if you are contributing into a Roth IRA, something to be aware about is that there is a five-year withdrawal rule, and this only applies to earnings. So Let's say you contribute $6,000 and, you know, within the first year an emergency comes up or you need that $6,000, you can go ahead and withdraw that money without penalty. However, if you earned anything um, on top of that, you cannot withdraw your earnings until you've had your Roth IRA account for at least five years. So that is something to consider. So that is also the reason why understanding what a contribution 
is and an earning is um, is important because each respective deposit, each respective amount has its own rules and policies. To continue kicking off this topic, now we would like to share our own personal experiences with using um, some of the more common financial institutions. You've probably already heard of their names. Um, so the, for, for the three common ones, we have Vanguard, Fidelity, and Charles Schwab. I am probably butchering that name, so I apologize. So I'll go ahead and start off. Um, a question that we think will be beneficial to answer is, what do we personally use for each one? So for me, I use two out of the three. I use Fidelity and Vanguard. Um, I use Fidelity by default since that is what my employer has. Um, so something that we that Albert mentioned in our first episode is how what do you invest in first? Where do you put your money? Um, so. If your employer has employer matching, and this is where they will match a certain percentage of how much you contribute, you would want to go ahead and, you know, set up your emergency fund, contribute to your 401k up to the percentage that your employer will match. Then you will contribute um, and max out your Roth IRA. And once that is done, you will go ahead and contribute to um, max out the remaining 401k. If your employer does not have employer matching, um, where you would want to invest your money first is creating yourself an emergency fund, maxing out your Roth IRA, and then going ahead and maxing out and contributing to your 401k. So for me, I am lucky because my employer does, you know, provide employer matching. So I contribute up the max up to the max amount that my employer is willing to um, match. So this isn't what my employer provides, but an example is, you know, let's say there is an employer out there who's super generous and they match 50% of, you know, the IRS limit. So what you would want to do in that case is to contribute 19500 the IRS limit, and your employer will match 50% of that. The reason why you want to do this first after setting up your emergency fund is because that is free money that you're getting from your employer, and you never want to leave free money on the table. So if you are working for an employer and you don't know what their employer matching is, Definitely do some research, check it out with your benefits team, check if they have employer matching, figure out the percentage and make sure you are contributing, you know, enough to go ahead and get the free money from your employer for your 401k. Um, for Fidelity, Fidelity, I am someone who likes to, you know, set and forget my account. I don't like to have to log into it often and manage it. So for me, I personally invested in a target fund because it's easy. You just put money in there and I don't really have to visit or manage it. Um, 
because there's a portfolio manager who does it for me. I know that was a lot for my 401k and Fidelity, um, but the next financial institution I use that I just started this year is Vanguard for Roth IRA. So for me, I signed up for Vanguard because that was what um, uh, my other peers used and also Vanguard was referred to me, um, you know, by friends. And since my friends used it, I, you know, only heard great things about it, which is why I myself signed up for my Roth IRA under Vanguard. Um, So to be honest, I don't know too much about it. (laughs) And that's where Albert will fill in the gaps. But personally, um, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to contribute the IRS limit at one time. So I put in $6,000. Um, into my Roth IRA, I honestly didn't know what to put my money into and invest into. So definitely do your research. They have a lot of mutual funds and ETFs, um, different blends and different mixes. So based on your taller, your risk level and also what you're interested in, um, that can determine what you personally will invest in. So for me, I ended up investing in Vanguard 500 index fund admiral shares. And again, this was by recommendation from another friend um, who I trust. So this is actually, you know, this is a, a blend of 500 large U.S. companies. In the top 10 are Amazon, Facebook, Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, and, uh, you know, other large corporate companies in the U.S. Um, the expense ratio for this is really low. It's 0.04. And if you recall the definition that Albert provided earlier, you want to look for a low expense ratio because this is an annual fee that is charged based on how much you have in that sp- you know, respective mutual fund um, or ETF. So definitely keep an eye out for that. I'll be honest, Vanguard. Oh, okay. Okay. I think I'm done. Okay. All right. I'm going to pass it to Albert now so he can discuss which one he uses for each of his respective retirement plan. (laughs) Thanks for sharing your insight, Caroline. Um, That was very helpful. Um, Yeah, so I have actually accounts across all three financial institutions, and I'll share my two two cents. Um, Yeah, I actually probably rank the platforms in the order of Charles Schwab being number one, Fidelity being number two, and Vanguard being number three, mostly in part because Charles Schwab is more user-friendly. I can speak more to that in a bit. Um, it's more so um, amongst the three financial institutions, Charles Schwab offers a lot more features. Like, for example, they offer factorial shares, which is better for beginner investors as it offers a lower barrier to entry. And what that means is you could start investing right away. The minimum is literally like a dollar. <laughs> Whereas, like, let's say you started with Vanguard to get started to invest you would have to have at minimum a balance of a thousand or even three thousand to participate in certain mutual funds or ETS. So this is sort of like getting more deeper into the weeds, but that's like 
that's some of the pros and cons as to why you would want to choose, like, for example, more beginner-friendly financial institution like Charles Schwab versus, like, let's say, Vanguard, just because the the minimum is a lot smaller. Um, so, again, just just more investor beginner-friendly. Um, and moreover, Charles Schwab is also um, has the biggest um, wealth managed. Like, they... According to a 2021 statistic, they basically um, manage over 7.6 trillion USD assets, whereas Vanguard comes second at 7.2 trillion USD assets, and Fidelity's last at 4.2 trillion USD assets. So in a way, Charles Schwab has been in the industry for a long time, and their expense ratios are pretty solid. The only reason why I would think one is better than the other at the end of the day, if let's say you had all the funds and you didn't really care too much about the the barrier to entry, like the $1,000 to Vanguard, um, like I'd say one of the pros and cons is that like you probably want to go direct if like let's say you wanted a a Vanguard specific ETF or mutual fund it's probably a lot cheaper in terms of expense ratio um if you already know you want to invest in like let's say an ETF in VOOO ticker um which is basically the Vanguard sponsored 500 index fund and it's a lot cheaper if you just like had a Vanguard account opposed to opening up a Fidelity account and then buying that Vanguard ETF through Fidelity just because you'll have an inflated um, expense ratio. So that's just one example of like why you would want to go direct um, and choose one financial institution over the other. Um, but yeah, um, that's just like uh, like an idea to bounce off before opening up a lot of accounts and just like just weighing the pros and cons and i'm, I'm gonna shoot it over to carolyn um to speak a little bit more as to like her initial thoughts of like investing and like what are some um initial ets or <laughs> investment vehicles that she first started off with thanks albert um, so I, th I think I, in my long spiel about what I use, I did mention, you know, um, the mutual fund that I invested in. Um, and we mentioned this in our first podcast, podcast as well. So when I first opened Vanguard, when you contribute your money, it goes into something called the money market, right? So that sounds like it'll do something for you, but it really won't. It's kind of just like a checkings account. It's just holding your contribution in there. So, you know, I, you know, put in $6,000 and if I didn't move it into, you know, a mutual fund or an ETF, your money won't grow. You won't have any earnings because the money market, like I said, is just there to hold your money it's not doing anything for you so you're not going to experience growth and i think personally when i first 
heard about that, I, I didn't even know I had to move the money. I didn't know I had to actively look for a mutual fund and, you know, buy shares. So that's something to be mindful of when you open a Roth IRA or any retirement, you know, fund account, any retirement account that you do actually have to initially move your money into an ETF or a mutual fund that you're interested in. Um, as I mentioned, for Vanguard, I invest decided to invest my money into the 500 index fund, um, Admiral Shares, um, just because it was recommended to me and it, you know, is composed of 500 of the largest U.S. companies. So since you have more experience with all three of these financial institutions, Albert, which one do you think is better for younger folks in their 20s through 30s? And which one do you think is better for individuals who are over 30? Yeah, so that's a great question, Carolyn. And and in my opinion, I think Fidelity and Charles Schwab are the best for beginner investors, more so because it's a a smaller barrier to entry like you only need a dollar minimum to again um, invest in their mutual fund versus like let's say a thousand to three thousand for vanguard but moreover like the fees like every fee is different for each financial institution and in in particular with vanguard if let's say you're trading stocks um it's it's free to trade stocks but like with Fidelity and Charles Schwab, it's free too. <laughs> but like, let's say let's you want to get more into more advanced um, trading options. Like let's say like options or um, just like very more advanced ETFs that's more obscure. There might be more um, fees that follow a different schedule. Like for example, I know if you play with options with Vanguard, um, a contract is an additional dollar flat fee, whereas in Fidelity, um, a option contract is uh, $0.65, cents, and Charles Schwab is around $0.65 cents as well. So the, the main point is that like you want to look at the fee schedule of each financial in- institution and determine like what's your objective and like, what level are you and what's your risk tolerance in terms of being a trader um like and another question you probably should ask yourself is like are you the type to set and forget like carolyn or are you the type to be more of like an active trader um where you're sort of doing trades and tweaks to your portfolio yourself manually sort of like an intermediate trader or are you more like really active um to the point where like you're like day trading or scalping um, that will probably determine like which financial institution is best for you. But to go to go back to answering your question, Carolyn, in regards to age groups, um, I think the best um, beginner financial institution is Charles Schwab for the more younger folks. Like let's say um, the age group twenty through thirty. Um, but as you get more uh, into investing. And you become more comfortable with investing, like in trading in general. I think um, where it like this financial institution shine is more so Fidelity um, and still Charles Schwab. Like they've been in the game for a long time, so 
Um, they have a lot of features and, and that are like user friendly. Um, even though that they're like very beginner friendly too, which is like perfect. So it sounds like like I'm like <laughs> a Charles Schwab um, fan, but um, they just do it so well. Um, and I think that's where credits do. Um, and Vanguard, I'd say, is in my opinion um, my least favorite. Um, but like. <laughs> Carolyn was like holding her hand over her heart in in relation to my comment about Vanguard, but yeah, I use Vanguard more as a means for my Roth IRA, nothing more. Um, just because they, it has a higher fee schedule and like to participate again, like in like different uh, mutual funds, it requires like a bigger bear entry, and I just find myself um, investing more so in individual stocks or playing options that are a lot cheaper than Vanguard just because Vanguard's fees are a lot higher to play with options and in essence that's why I'm more active in my accounts in Fidelity and Charles Schwab so that's sort of like my experience with um these three financial institutions I think it just depends like on your risk tolerance again I cannot emphasize that enough and more so like what how comfortable you are like just managing your account and I think that's what it comes down to so Carolyn um can you speak a little bit more about um rollover IRAs and your experience with rollover IRAs I sure can um I personally went through rolling over my 401k um so before I begin um the def I want to explain what a rollover is. Um, so what that is, is you deciding to move um, your money from one account to another account. Two of the main ones are moving your 401k into an individual retirement account, an IRA. And then the second one, which is the one that I did, is moving your 401k from one employer to a new employer's 401k. Some things to keep in mind is what your current 401k, the type of 401k you have, like if it's a Roth or a traditional, and what kind of account and plan you are moving it into. This is important because this will determine how you will be taxed and if you will be taxed. So if you're rolling over a traditional 401k to a Roth IRA, keep in mind that you will be taxed. Um, if you decide to do this, I highly advise you to, you know, do your research, even consult a financial advisor on how much you'll be taxed and if it's the, you know, best thing for you to do. Um, because if you get taxed, that's probably money that you will have to pay the government that year. The other type is rolling a, for a traditional 401k to a traditional IRA. So for this, your tax will continue to be deferred and it will be pre-tax. The other one is rolling your Roth 401k to Roth IRA. Um, and for that, you will not be taxed. So as I mentioned before, I did have experience in rolling my 401k from one employer to my current employer 401k. So what I first did is actually reach out to the financial institution of my current employer 
and just asked them what they needed because I didn't I didn't even know where to go, what numbers they needed, anything like that. You know, eventually they gave me, you know, just a couple items they needed. Of course, my name, my personal information. Then they'll also ask for the exact amount that is in my previous employer's account. And then they also ask for like the the employer's name, right? Like it's some code um, and some number tied to your account. So they'll they'll ask for that as well. So that was good for me to do initially because with that information, I knew exactly what I needed to ask the financial institution at my previous employer. Um, so then I wasn't going in there, you know, not knowing what information my current employer needed. So after I did that, I called my previous employer 401k financial institution and you know they were super helpful I asked them for the information they were able to help me locate it um the great thing about you know living in this day and age a lot of your information is on online in the app and all you need is guidance to locate where to find it so after I got that um and confirmed what you'll want to do is confirm with your previous 401k financial institution and authorize that they mail the check. So they have to mail a physical check. So two options is to have them mail it to your new your current or new employers 401k financial institution and you can get their address, you know, when you talk to them initially. And then the other option is for them to mail you the physical check directly and then you go ahead and send it into the new financial institution um, to deposit into your account. So for me, what ended up happening, and this is totally my fault, I actually had to mail it to um, my new employers for a 1K financial institution. I didn't check my account to you know, approve or confirm that that information was correct. So they ended up sending it back to my previous employer's financial institution. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why is my money just sitting there? Like, why is it not deposited? Like, I didn't get the check. So this was scary because something you have to keep in mind is from the date that you receive the check, from the date that they cut the check, you have 60 days from that date to go ahead and put it into a qualified retirement account. If you do not do that within 60 days, you will be taxed. So I got nervous because I was like, okay, I'm running out of time. Even though I had 60 days, I thought I was running out of time to get this money into my new account. Um, the great thing about it is that the rep helped me out. He, They just told me that the check ended up getting rerouted to me directly. And like I said, now that everything is done online, I didn't even have to mail the physical check into my my current employer's financial institution. All, I was able to do it online. All I had to do was enter the amount that was on the check online and go and just press confirm and approve and it went through. So that's my experience. It was like I said, it wasn't seamless um, just because partially my fault. I didn't approve the number on my end. Um, but the steps I would suggest taking is, you know, chatting with your current employer for a 1k financial institution, figuring out what they need, you know, from the other financial institution to get 
your money deposit into your account. And then also, you know, determining do you want the check mailed directly to you? Do you want it mailed directly to them? And once you figure that out, just make sure you get the appropriate addresses um, so you can provide that to your previous uh employers 401k financial institution and remember the 60-day rule you do not want to be taxed um, on that amount if the plan is for you to put it into a qualified um, retirement plan so how long was the turnaround um, after you first cut the check um, what do you mean how, how fast was the turnaround to get it into my new account yeah I would say a week a week or two, but like I said, you have 60 days um, to get it in. So do not take that lightly because 60 days fly by super fast. Okay, nice. <laughs> um, so I'll speak a little bit more about um, like a little bit more context as to um, why an individual would consider a rollover. Um, like it's also like considered a backdoor Roth IRA um, advantage. So there's actually a tax advantage for rolling over your money into, um, let's say, an individual Roth, Roth IRA. You have a, a separate financial financial institution. Like, for example, um, from our previous segment, you probably heard of like the contribution limit being six thousand or seven thousand, depending on your age bracket. Um, but with the advantage of a backdoor Roth IRA of rolling over, you're able to increase your contribution more so than the initial six thousand or seven thousand um, that you contribute that year. So, in a way, you're sort of using a backdoor, <laughs> um, like, but it's like totally legal. <laughs> it sounds a little like not legal, but it is legal. Um, where you're just um, using your prior um, retirement fund from your old employer and sort of migrating that and consolidating that into your um, individual Roth IRA. So that's just one way of like um, consolidating your funds and just like taking advantage of your Roth IRA that I just wanted to point out. Yeah. I thank you for bringing that up because if. Um when I did my rollover, I didn't have, um, a per, you know, my own individual retirement account already open. So I just ended up rolling over my 401k from my previous employer to my current employer. Um, with what Albert said, I would highly suggest doing that versus rolling it over to your current employer. Um, I think I would have done that if I did have my, you know, IRA account already open. Um, but, you know, at that time I didn't and I didn't even think to open one and just roll it over. So that's something you can do as well. And I, like I said, I would have done that um, if I knew otherwise, you know, if I knew to do that. And then also with him bringing up contribution, I do want to call out that when you do a rollover, um, at least for from one 401k to another employers, it does not, um, what is it? It does not affect that year's contribution amount. So if you roll over, you know, uh, 10,000, that won't affect that year's contribution amount. So you can still contribute let's say for 2021, 19,500 and still roll over that 10,000 without it impacting that, that max amount. 
So to back it up a little, we wanted to give like a little more context as to the naming convention of like when we say 401k. Like a lot of 401ks are employer sponsored. So like when we say 401k, they're it's usually employer sponsored. Whereas when we speak more so about traditional IRA versus Roth IRA, we wanted to also clarify and make sure that a traditional IRA is also another viable option opposed to Roth IRA. Like, I know we sort of like went really into Roth IRAs, but yeah, there's just several differences between Roth IRA and traditional IRA that we want to speak a little bit more to. And Carolyn will uh, speak a little bit more to the differences and the pros and cons versus Roth IRA and traditional IRA. Okay, so we wanted to list side by side the differences between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA. Um, just because Albert and I both have Roth IRA, I think that's why we spoke to it more um, earlier on in the podcast. Um, but sometimes a Roth IRA might not be best suited for you in your situation. So we wanted to clarify that you do have options um, when you're opening up an IRA. So there's two types. So there's the Roth IRA and also traditional IRA. Um, you just have to do your research and take into consideration different aspects of each one to decide which account makes the most sense for you, right? This can depend on your current income level, um, your current tax bracket, all of these things you need to be aware about before deciding which one you want to contribute to. So I'll go ahead and compare each one side by side. So for a Roth IRA, um, this allows you to make after-tax contributions. Um, and then traditional IRA allows you to make pre-tax contributions. Um, so when it comes to taxes, your contributions grow tax-free um, for your Roth IRA. And then for your tr traditional IRA, that um, your contributions grow tax-deferred. So for your contributions, um, contributions come from after-tax dollars for your Roth IRA. And then for your traditional IRA, contributions come from pre- or after-tax dollars. Um, keep in mind, for this year, 2021, your max contribution is the same for both Roth and traditional. It's $6,000 that you can contribute. And then $7,000 if you are over the age of 50. For withdrawals, something you want to keep in mind are the penalties, right? So when can you withdraw your your investments um, without being penalized? So for Roth IRA, you must be at least 59 and a half years old and have held the account for at least five, five tax years um, in order for your withdrawals to be penalty and tax-free. For traditional IRA, it will be penalty free, but tax as current income after age 59 and a half. So you will be taxed according to your tax bracket that year that you're making the withdrawal from your tr traditional IRA. Um, another thing to keep in mind with, with withdrawals are that for Roth IRA, there's no mandatory distributions um, versus for traditional there are mandatory distributions after age 72, meaning that you are required to withdraw a certain amount from your traditional IRA. 
you're probably thinking like, okay, so how do I know which one should I sign up for or contribute to? Um, so with Roth IRA, um, this is best suited for individuals who anticipate being in a higher tax bracket in the future than you are now. So me personally, looking at my tax bracket, I anticipate that I will be in a higher tax bracket five, 10 years from now. So I elected to contribute to a Roth IRA versus for a traditional IRA, someone who expects to be in the same or lower tax bracket when they start making withdrawals. That means that a traditional IRA might be best suited for them versus a Roth IRA. Disclaimer, we are not financial advisors. In order to make the best financial decision that suits your own needs, you must conduct your own research and seek the advice of a licensed financial advisor if necessary. Thank you.